Ozark Highlands Radio is brought to you by the Ozark Folk Center State Park in Mountain View, Arkansas. A wonderful way to enjoy yesterday. On the web at ozarkfolkcenter.com. And by Stone Bank, a community bank supporting entrepreneurs and farmers nationwide with loans guaranteed by the USDA, SBA, and Farm Services Agency. Learn more at stonebank.com. And the Arkansas Arts Council, empowering the arts for the benefit of all Arkansans. On the web at arkansasarts.org. Hey folks, this is Dave Smith, host of Ozark Highlands Radio. Welcome to our show. This week we'll be featuring music and interviews with country blues and old-time music phenomenon and member of the Carolina Chocolate Drops, Hubby Jenkins. Folklorist Brooks Blevins will begin a history of an ill-fated Arkansas theme park, Dogpatch USA. And down in the vault, music archivist Mark Jones has found a nostalgic record of a couple of friends of ours who have now passed on. All that this week on Ozark Highlands Radio. Hubby Jenkins is a talented multi-instrumentalist who obviously enjoys sharing his love and knowledge of old-time American music. Born and raised in Brooklyn, he delved into his southern roots, following the thread of African-American history that wove itself through country blues, ragtime, fiddle and banjo, and traditional jazz. As you're about to hear, he enjoys playing these tunes as much as we like to hear them. My Monday woman, bring me the news. That Tuesday woman, boys, I'm telling you, better not let my good gal catch you here. Ain't no telling, man, poor little Lucy may do. Wednesday woman, gone to my head. Thursday woman, trying to get in my bed, but not let my Good gal catch you here Ain't no telling man Poor little Lucy may do Friday woman want My pocket change Saturday woman try Get the same Better not let my Good gal catch you here Ain't no telling man Poor little Lucy may do. Sunday woman got Gatlin gun. Cut you if you stand, boy. Shoot you if you run. Better not let my good gal catch you here. Ain't no telling, man. Poor little Lucy may do. My woman left me on Christmas. In the afternoon, next time I seen it was the 19th of June. Better not let my good gal catch you here. Ain't no telling, man, all the Lucy may do. Thank you. Yeah, I grew up in Brooklyn. Uh, yeah, I grew up in Bed-Stuy, and then my mom's split up and moved all around Brooklyn, so I, the whole borough is mine, basically, from growing up there. Um, and I grew up playing saxophone, then later cello, then bass, 
Then I got my first guitar, got my hands on my first banjo after that, mandolin not too long after that. So you played in, like, school bands? I played in school bands, um, like, uh, you know, in the pit during musicals and uh, just some straight-up recitals. Uh, and I had a few friends who I played band in bands with. I had one band that was, like, a U2 cover band that I only lasted one day in. Um, <laughs> And then uh, after high school, I had a band that I played with, and then we all got into folk music and country blues together, and that's when I started playing guitar and being a bluesman and drinking whiskey straight and <laughs> uh, bumming around the country and hitching rides and all that kind of stuff. Skip James is one of my favorites. I'm going to do a song by Skip James called All Night Long. It goes a little something like this. Saddle. Well, saddle of my black man Then you'll find me riding mama Sit down a road somewhere If it's all night long If it's all night long If it's all night long Said if it's all night Go and grab your basket, mama Come out with me to these woods If we find in no bears, mom Gotta make love and good If it's all night long If it's all night If it's all night long If it's all night I'm going, I'm gone I won't be back no more if I hang around Louisiana, mama, you know they hang me sure. If it's all night long, if it's all night, if it's all night long. I guess initially it was me and, and my good friend Farrell Foster in New York. We both got really into playing blues, music specifically, country, pre-World War II blues. And we didn't really know there was a scene. I had no idea that festivals existed, none of that, uh, growing up in the city. What we had was the New York folk scene. That was kind of our thing to look back at and, I guess, emulate, you know, like when you're young and you're doing all that. Um, and so we started spending time in Washington Square Park. Which, which is right near McDougal Street, which is like Kettle of Fish was there and Gaslight and all that stuff. And there were still a lot of musicians who would go there and play old time or play folk songs or just play. So that was the beginning of that. Um, and then there was a, a show in the back of a Thai restaurant at McDougal Street that wasn't doing very well. And the guy who ran it gave it to Farrell. It's like, do you want this Wednesday night slot in the back of this Thai restaurant? He's like, yes. And so that became a way for us to meet people and be like, we got this show. It's happening in the West Village, on this historical street, like, come play. And so I started to build up my musical friendships there. And lots of people coming and hearing about it and meeting young people who are also, you know, devouring the Harry Smith or looking for a scene. 
walking bones, walking bones, walking bones. Well, I don't belong to you. I belong, I belong, I belong to the steel driving crew. And even in my house, you know, one of my moms is from Puerto Rico, so I grew up with all, you know, just salsa and in my music, let alone on the street all summer and stuff like that. Um, and my other mom is very eclectic in her taste. But I'd have to say probably Skip James is the, is the guy who did it for me. And the first time I heard Devil Got My Woman Blues, I had never heard anything like that in my life. Didn't know music could exist like that. You know, just completely monotonous and droney, powerful, his voice weak but strong, declarative. And around that time I was getting into, you know, classic rock stuff and listening to a lot of Hendrix and early psychedelic stuff. And for me, Skip James was as powerful as, you know, Pink Floyd's first record with all their effects and loudness and everything. And so the, just seeing how powerful one person could be uh, with their voice and a guitar pulled me in completely. blind, I cannot see, never will see no more. I must be blind, I cannot see, I never will see no more. He casts his eyes up in the skies, never will see no more. He casts his eyes up in the skies, he never will see must be blind, I cannot see, never will see no more. I never will see no more in this world, I never will see no more. His eyes were green and now they're white, never will see no more. His eyes were green, they're awful white, never 
Dr. Cecilia Conway, Appalachian State University, uh, with help from her friends, et cetera, put together uh, Black Banjo Songsters of North Carolina and Virginia. I don't think it's West Virginia. I think it's in Virginia. Yeah, and this was just a compilation of that, uh, field recordings uh, of what Black Banjo players sound like in a specific region um, and the style. You know, a lot of old-time music is, is predominantly broken up by region. But when you hear that record and also another record I would recommend is Altamont, you can hear the, a little bit of differences in, in style and how we play and how someone else might play. And that was kind of a big thing for me getting into the banjo. I, I kind of, I would hear old time music and hear Clarence Ashley and hear um, Roscoe Holcomb and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, that's really cool, but I have no idea what the hell's going on with that. Until I got a banjo in my hands and it clicked. Like, you know, Claw Hammer just clicked with me very swiftly. <laughs> Thank you. 
yeah, it's 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 like learning how to uh, ride your bike without your parents holding on to the back seat. You just keep going forward. You just pedal. And the first time you do it, you feel the freedom and you feel the air. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of air whooshing past your face when you're playing banjo, but you feel it and then you don't want to stop because you're like, oh, I've got it. I better not stop or I'll lose it, you know? Um, definitely had that feeling. And then, you know, I also lucked out by joining Carolina Chocolate Drops where I got to play banjo. My first year at that band, we were out for 250 days in one year. I'm playing banjo every night. Uh, and so that really helped me with the comfort uh, and frailing, flailing, beating the thing, you know? <laughs> it goes a little something like this. to African-American folk musician Hubby Jenkins. Hubby started that set with Lucy May Blues, followed by All Night Long, Walking Boss, I Must Be Blind, I Cannot See, an unnamed banjo instrumental that I think is Sandy Boys, and finishing with a good old gospel number, Children of Zion. We'll take a short break now, after which it'll be time for a visit with Mark Jones down in the vault. And don't worry, there's lots more of Hubby Jenkins coming up in our show. This is Ozark Highlands Radio. You know, I think I'll go down and visit Mark Jones down in the vault, and I've got a special request for him this week. Let's let's go down and see if we can find him. Hello, Dave. How are you doing? I'm good, Mark. Good to see you. You're looking good, as usual. Well, thank you. I, I don't get out much. <laughs> Not too many people look at me, but I, I feel pretty good. Well, I always like coming down here, and, and I've got a special request for you this week. You know, we just recently lost Bess Kelly. Yeah. Good old Bess, who sang here uh, since, I think, 1984. She and her husband, Lester, were uh, regulars on our stage and knew a wealth of great tunes. I think Bess specialized in Carter tunes for the most part. I think so. She really, really liked the Carter family. In fact, she would come down and visit me every once in a while, and we'd sit and talk. 
and uh, she really admired the Carter family and uh, did a lot of their songs. Well, I wonder if you got any of her stuff down here in the vault. I do, Dave. I run across this old tune, and uh, she did it really well. And actually, it's the first time that she was on stage here at the Ozark Folk Center, and it's called All the Good Times. Well, that's a good old Carter tune, too, isn't it? Would you like to hear it? I would love to. All right. We're going to have a little banjo picking and guitar picking and singing now. This couple does a very fine job of picking and singing. This is Lester and Bessie Kelly. I'd like for you all to make them welcome. <laughs> first one we're going to do is uh, all the good times are past and gone, but they're not really. There's a lot more left here at the folk town. Don't you see that lonesome dove lying from to pine? She's mourning That's so nice to hear Lester and Bess. You know, one time uh, I was the MC on a show they were on, and I introduced them as Les and Bester. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know what happened. I, well, I've kind of done that myself yeah. a couple of times. And, of course, we lost Lester about a year ago, and just about ex almost a year exactly later, 
Bess has passed away now. That's true. Well, all the good times are past and gone, huh? That's true. Mark, thank you so much. It's been a real treat this week. Thank you, Dave. This week's featured performer, Hubby Jenkins, got his higher musical education started as a busker. He developed his guitar and vocal craft on the sidewalks and subway platforms of New York City, performing material by those venerable artists whose work he was quickly absorbing. As an itinerant musician, he took his show on the road, playing the streets, coffee shops, bars, and house parties of cities around the U.S. Let's get back out on the stage with Hubby Jenkins. And then learning that the banjo was a black instrument, which I didn't know. You know, a lot of people don't know, don't see the, you know, Civil War imagery of banjos, don't even see sailors with banjos. You know, a lot of that, you know, our early introduction, our earliest introduction to the banjo is kind of deliverance or hee-haw or something like this. Um, so when I learned that it was a black instrument, that kind of opened up another door for me of, oh, so this music is kind of mine too. But that was a reason for me, like, oh, this is also my music, and I want to get into that. And then not knowing that the banjo was a black instrument for so long, turning to my moms and being like, do you guys know this is a black instrument? They're like, no, I had no idea, you know? So my grandma, did you know it was a black instrument? No, I had no idea. It's like, well, why don't we know this? Why, why is there this hole in our history? And then that opens up a whole bunch of other holes. You know, the more you, you follow the journey of the banjo and you learn all these things about the black experience. Um, and that set me off early on this mission of, I want to play old time music, I want to play the banjo, I want to fill in the holes of, of our history. And like...
started walking down that long Frisco line. say you know when I first joined the band and before I joined the band it was very uncommon for people at a show to know the black influence on old-time music and you know I remember when I first started playing shows it'd be like hey did you guys know the band was a black instrument and we're like what no five six years of chocolate drops and everyone's like yes we know <laughs> we get it um, so that's you know that's one thing that I've just noticed personally and, you know, being an all-black string band and going to a lot of old-time festivals and bluegrass festivals and just the visceral reaction of seeing a black band play, um, I think had some uh, effect on people and how they viewed their music, how they viewed us as a people, all that sort of thing. <laughs>
hard, leaving town when times are hard. I think the other thing that that we did or are doing, whatever, uh, that we did, not necessarily race-related, is unbind old-time music. Because I, I don't know what happened in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s where it became, no, we play everything medium tempo, just like the record, we have this one way of playing it, you know, whatever it might be. An old-time band is just this, a uh, bluegrass band is just this. But when you hear a lot of these old recordings, you know, there's a band with a, a tuba, a guitar, and like a guy playing a tea kettle, you know, we're just trying to introduce that there, the rules are very small when it comes to playing old time music. And so trying to reintroduce, you know, feeling free to just rock out on something, feeling free to, I don't know, play a fife and drum rhythm underneath a woman singing Irish fiddle songs. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's that freedom to do that. That's how we create and, and explore. I don't know if that's race-related, but that's in the mix with what Jaron's doing and, uh, and did over here.
gonna see the king, Lordy, by and by. I'm gonna see the king, by and by. I'm gonna see the king. Well, I wouldn't mind dying. I'm a child of God. your saw the wheel. Hubby Jenkins recorded last summer on our stage at the Ozark Folk Center State Park in Mountain View, Arkansas. I'm sure you can tell that Hubby had a great time playing on our stage and really connected with his audience. He sang Old Corn Liquor, Frisco Line, Can You Hear My Banjo Say, Keep Your Lamps Trimmed and Burning, and By and By I'm Going to See the King. Let's take another short break. When we come back, historian and author Brooks Blevins will begin his three-part series on the 25-year run of Dogpatch USA. This is Ozark Highlands Radio. On May 18, 2018, Abner Yoakum and Daisy Mae Scragg are coming back to the Ozarks. Premiering in Harrison, Arkansas, Jeff Carter's documentary, Dogpatch USA, an average Stone Age community, will tell the story of one of the region's most interesting and surreal tourist endeavors, a theme park populated with fictional hillbillies plopped down in a holler in middle America's most rugged and remote county. It was 50 years ago that Al Cap's comic strip, Little Abner, came to life at Dogpatch USA, located on Arkansas Highway 7 south of Harrison. In the first of a three-part series on the story of Dogpatch USA, we'll head back in the hills to refresh our memories of the cartoonist and the comic strip behind the theme park. For more than a quarter of a century, Dogpatch USA lured visitors to its remote but charming stretch of road in Newton County, just not enough of them. Local citizens and other Arkansasiers were willing to overlook the blatant stereotyping of Cap's comic strip, even play along with it, when the theme park's founders promised jobs and millions of dollars added to the region's economy. 
Dogpatch USA never came close to achieving the popularity and attendance its founders predicted, but the park left behind one colorful legacy in the annals of the Ozarks. If you're not yet middle-aged, you probably have no clue who Al Cap was, or what an Abner Yoakum was, or a Daisy May Scrag. For more than 43 years, beginning in 1934, Al Cap's Little Abner was one of the nation's most popular comic strips. Set in the fictional southern mountain town of Dogpatch, the strip followed the lives and adventures of the Yoakums and their hillbilly neighbors. Cap, a New Englander whose knowledge of the South came almost exclusively from movies and vaudeville, used his characters as ciphers for his social satire, which tended to be class-conscious and leftist in the early years, but grew more conservative as time went on. The early days of Little Abner often found the Yoakums in New York or some other city, assailed by fat-cat capitalists or no-good con artists. This age-old fish-out-of-water setup was a precursor to later country people in the big city shows, such as the Ma and Paul Kettle movies of the 1950s and Paul Henning's Beverly Hillbilly sitcom of the 60s. In fact, Mammy Yoakum, just about the only character in Dogpatch with enough horse sense to get her family and her neighbors out of their many predicaments, was probably something of a model for Uncle Jed of the Beverly Hillbillies. As time went on, however, Cap's stable of characters grew to include dozens and dozens of colorful Dogpatch natives, including the village's own villains. There was Moonbeam McSwine, the beautiful but unkempt hillbilly girl, Earthquake Magoon, a hulking mountaineer who first appeared as the world's dirtiest wrestler, Lonesome Polecat and Hairless Joe, cave-dwelling moonshiners, and the town's beloved Civil War hero, General Jubilation T. Cornpone. The list went on and on. Few entertainment creations matched Little Abner's influence on American popular culture. RKO Pictures made the first Little Abner movie in 1940, and 1956 saw the premiere of a popular musical based on the characters from Dogpatch. After almost 700 performances on Broadway, the show's creators and cast turned Little Abner into a film for the second time, this one in color, and released in 1959. Cap's invention of a dogpatch ritual in which single girls chased down and married shy bachelors inspired a generation of Sadie Hawkins Day dances in the 1940s and 50s. His loving, altruistic, sacrificial schmooze became a sensation in the late 40s, and Cap's decision to finally tie the knot between Little Abner and Daisy May made the cover of Time magazine in 1952. Though Cap's increasingly reactionary comic strip began to lose its cultural cachet amid the storm of social movements and revolutions of the late 60s, it was still a marketable commodity. The artist licensed the Georgia Company to manufacture a soft drink carrying the name of Dogpatch's local moonshine, Kickapoo Joy Juice, and a Little Abner TV pilot was filmed and marketed but failed to get picked up by a network. It was in this same era that Cap first licensed the use of his characters to a theme park, the park that opened in the Arkansas Ozarks in the spring of 1968. Cap had never really identified his fictional village with a particular region or state, but he must have concluded that the Ozarks was as good a candidate as any other place, especially considering that a group of Ozarks businessmen were willing to give him a cut of the proceeds. In our next look at Dogpatch USA, we'll meet the chief Arkansas investor and head back in the hills to the place where it all started on a remote stretch of blacktop in Newton County, Arkansas. Thanks, Brooks. 
Let's feature a few more tunes by Hubby Jenkins before we close this week's show. After years of busking around the country and making a name for himself, Hubby became acquainted with the old-time string band the Carolina Chocolate Drops. Since 2010, he's been an integral part of the Grammy Award-winning Chocolate Drops and continues to make solo performances as well. Here are three more from Hubby. My name's Banjo Sam. Play, play now, Banjo Sam. I've noticed more, not necessarily a lot, but more black people getting involved in old-time music, but also getting involved in folk, and probably more getting involved in Americana, which is so broad it could mean a lot, I guess. But, you know, I I think it's, I think it helps to have a different style and different face of old-time and folk music that's coming out um, that's a little less stale than what's been, you know, originally out there, and maybe less whitewashed, and, you know, with the chocolate drops for a long time, it was a cultural thing. Like we need to, we want to culturally change how you look at American music and connected to that is how you look at the history of black people. And that's, that's evolved and grown into like, now we need to connect that to today to affect our issues that are today. Um, and so all that feels more in your face. In the nineties, we would call it extreme. Uh, <laughs> so it's like to the extreme, but it's, it's, it's more vibrant, I think. And that attracts, Um, that attracts people. I love Karina. I love Karina. I 
love greener. I love greener. Lord have mercy. Baby, don't leave me. Baby, don't leave me. I said, baby, don't leave me. Way down in the valley. Lord have mercy. Down in the bottom. Down in the bottom. Way down in the bottom. Down in the bottom. It's a constant, if you're into this music, you're always digging, you're always learning, reading, blah, blah, blah. So you're constantly digging and researching. Like recently I've been wanting to get into gospel music and, and want to do like a, a Christian something. I want to do like a Christian record and talk about the black experience with Christianity in America and what that means. So for me now it's become kind of a reverse thing where I'm reading a lot about it and then trying to find songs that I can tell this narrative that I want through it. In the past, it's been just consuming, and probably to the present too, but consuming all this music and whatever sticks, whatever is like, oh, this is hitting me emotionally, I'm going to learn it and put it in here and mix it up with my experiences and spit it back out at people. And that emotion could be personal. You know, here's a sad love song. I think everyone can relate to that. It can be more about our black experience, our cultural thing, like a prison song about the diaspora. And, and it's just finding a connection.
my pockets was finally empty Not a soul on this earth to be found My mama taught me a plenty good people My papa, he taught me more Said if I didn't quit my rowdy ways Have trouble knocking at my door Surrounded my body, poor boy. Pretty women is a trouble in my mind. Oh my God! I think part of the tradition that people, you know, that we hold on to is that we learn these songs and we transmogrify them to our style, our situations, our culture, etc. That's just the folk process, the folkloric process. I think part of that too is just trying to keep it. You know, it's a, it's a little bit antiquated. It's an, it, a little bit, it's an antiquated form of music at this point, you know, now that we have computers and dubstep and probably before that too, but yeah, there's also something kind of beautiful about being part of this long stream. You know, there's something kind of beautiful about playing I don't know, about like hearing a 1927 recording and then playing it and seeing someone today appreciating it and feeling it coming out of you. Uh, there's something powerful about that. Thank you very much. Have a good night.
see you next time. Mr. Hubby Jenkins. Three more good tunes from Carolina Chocolate Drops member Hubby Jenkins. In our final set of the show, we heard Hubby sing Banjo Sam, Corina Corina, Country Blues, and close with Church Bells. I hope you enjoyed the show this week. A big shout-out is in order for our producer Jeff Glover, who works really hard to make this show sound as good as it does. You can see a photo of his handsome face, as well as the rest of us, at OzarkHighlandsRadio.com. I'm Dave Smith, and I hope to see you here next week. Bye, everybody. Ozark Highlands Radio is produced by Jeff Glover. Executive producer is Darren Dorton. Additional support for this program comes from the Committee of 100, proudly supporting the Ozark Folk Center State Park since 1974. Arkansas State Parks, with 52 unique reasons to visit the natural state. On the web at ArkansasStateParks.com. And by Stone Bank, with deep roots in Mountain View and a deep respect for those who preserve our heritage. More information about what it means to bank Boulder is at StoneBank.com. For information on upcoming shows and events, we are on the web at OzarkHighlandsRadio.com. Until next time, I'm Donna Farrar.